but they are who we thought they were. And we let them off the hook. I got baptized at uh, Lake Minnetonka. Uh, I hit a couple backflips. Playoffs? Don't talk about playoffs. You kidding me? Playoffs? I just hope we can win a game. My swag was having no swag. Hello, everyone, and welcome into another installment here of the Minnesota Sports Podcast here on the 19th of October, breaking down all that's going on in Minnesota sports here today. I'm CJ Baumgartner, and let's take a look here, starting with the Minnesota Vikings and Man, Kirk Cousins has played really well as of late. We talked about that on the podcast. Uh, we talked mainly about his comeback abilities. But Kirk Cousins overall has just been having a really good season so far. And it caught me by surprise. And especially the way he looked in training camp and just how everything went. It kind of was one of those deals where you're like, man, I don't know if the Vikings, uh, I don't know, you know, with Kirk Cousins, it all looks like it's about to implode and all that kind of stuff. And Cousins has turned it around and he's played his best season, I think, in the NFL. And that's the weird thing about Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins can make an entire room hate him, but it's as soon as he makes the entire room hate him that he goes and he just performs the best. I don't know why that is. I don't know why. But it felt like that last in uh, 2019, I should say, when everybody was all like, okay, everybody's out on Kirk. This season's a wash, like blah, 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 blah. And then all of a sudden, Kirk Cousins, they start 2-2, two and two, lose to the Chicago Bears. And then all of a sudden... Kirk Cousins wins like four games in a row, and the Vikings look fine. And then last year, the Vikings start one and five, and everybody's like, all right, time to bail on Cousins, time to bail on everything. And then all of a sudden, Cousins wins like four of his next five games. And it's things like that where every time he'll put himself in that position rightfully, and then all of a sudden he'll turn around and just make everything work for him. And it's how it started out with training camp. It started out with how he looked – in training camp, uh, how bad he looked and the vaccine stuff and everything and yada, yada, yada. Did someone get blown out of proportion? Sure. But at the same time, uh, it just wasn't going good for the quarterback. And now, I mean, the head coach at the time was bringing in a guy who publicly criticized you and everybody just kind of moved on with their day. Uh, and that's the thing about Kirk Cousins is it looked like everything was against the wall. And then all of a sudden he just managed to play well enough to make everybody go away. And that's the thing. And the only thing that would keep him from everybody coming back is that uh, everybody is able to come back and make those criticisms because usually Cousins buries himself again. But he hasn't really buried himself this year. Yeah, the team has buried themselves, but rarely, if at all, has it been the fault of Kirk Cousins. And that's what brings us to our next discussion here, which is, is Kirk Cousins playing his way into an extension? Because... Kirk is used to playing for a contract. He does really well. And again, when everybody's counting him out, when it's a contract year, it's not a contract year this year. He's still under contract for one more year. But when it's that time where it's expiring, getting close, and people start to wonder about his future, is when he turns it on as his best season. I mean, you looked at in Washington in, uh, I believe it was 2016 uh, or 2015, whatever. He played on the franchise tag two years in a row, and then he played – he played one season, got franchise tagged, played another season, got franchise tagged, played one more, and then became a free agent, went to Minnesota. And again, he had up and downs for sure, but he played his best when the contract was expiring. And a lot of players do this. Cousins isn't an exception in that. And, you know, they're more motivated, obviously, because they want to secure their future, so they want to secure their job. Um, but Kirk Cousins in 2019, 2018 was rough, 2019 
Uh, he had a, basically everybody's ready to bail on him, and then he had a good season, led him to the playoffs, and not only that, won a playoff game by leading a game-winning drive. And I think yeah, I, he got earned himself an extension. And this extension, he's making $45 million next season. It's made him a very rich man, his ability to play when the chips are down for him. And that's the thing. Is Kirk going to play his way into another contract? He's making $45 million next season. And then the contract's up. It's over. So the Vikings have to decide what their plan is with Kirk Cousins. Because they have, I mean, they have to figure out what they're going to do with him because they're kind of stuck right now. I mean, the whole franchise has basically been in limbo for the last two seasons of what are they going to be? Are they a contender? No, are they rebuilding? No, are they contending? And kind of back and forth. And here I'm going to go over the cases for and against to bring back Kirk Cousins on an extension. Let's do the pros. Pro Kirk Cousins extension. I mean, he did this in 2019 by playing well. And has been even better this year. I mean, we talked about in 2019, he played well enough to earn an extension. He won the playoff game, and that was the cherry on top. But he did have his best season of his career, and he had his most winningest year, winning 10 games. Uh, so he's used to playing for that. The contract ends, and he's been playing better than he did when that contract was getting close to ending in 2019. He's playing far better. The mistakes are gone. There's been, I mean, they've just not been existent right now. The, the Kirk where it feels like he collapses in on himself like a dying star is gone. And that's the thing is what do you do with Kirk Cousins if you extend him? Okay, well, what about the future of the head coach? What about the future of the GM? Even if there's a new head new GM, they're going to pick a new quarterback. I think that's just a given. A new GM is not going to come in here and want a quarterback that's into his age 30, that's past age 30 and still has, you know, relative question marks or at least, you know, has some question marks previously, but if, let's say Spielman sticks around and maybe Zimmer gets fired this year and they bring in a new head coach, well, Zimmer neglected offense, really, and has a lot of the time, and what happens if you bring in an offensive-minded head coach? What happens when you bring in a Kyle Shanahan to not only uh, give the team an offensive vision, but to want to be offensive-minded and not just run game-minded, but they wanted to pass the ball. They want to, how can we optimize the passing game. We have Thielen, Jefferson, Diggs, K.J. Osborne's playing well. We'll talk about him in a second. If they do that, you can keep Kirk Cousins around and your team can still be in a win-now mode because you'll have a quarterback, you'll have an offensive-minded team, you'll have a pretty good offense as long as you just invest in the defense while you continue to foster the offense. It's going to be fine. And you could win with that. And you could win with a Kirk Cousins-type quarterback in that situation, especially if you have a guy focused on offense who can play to Kirk's strengths. That can work. And it can hum if you put the focus on him like that. So those are the cases for a Kirk Cousins extension. Also, just the stability um, that he doesn't get hurt. He's a game, you know, he's played well. He's been a gamer these last few times. He's kind of, uh, now again, some of these have been against bad teams. But just about every single week, Kirk Cousins has orchestrated a fourth quarter, under two-minute drive and put his teams in positions to win every, almost every single time, except for the Cleveland game. But And that one even more you can put on the offensive line. But with that, just Cousins has been able to show he's capable of doing it. He can do it. It's not just, a, oh, you did it against the Lions. You know, He did it against the Bengals. The Bengals look better than we thought at week number one. He did it against the Cardinals. The Cardinals look a lot better than we thought they did in Week 2. He did it against Detroit. 
He did it against Carolina and a top-five defense. So there's reason to believe that Cousins, not going to say put it all together, but there's a reason to believe that you can get hot Kirk Cousins more than you can get cold Kirk Cousins. And if you can do that and you can get a coach who's more willing to work with that, then you really can see some success. Now, the case against giving Kirk Cousins an extension is that the Vikings were ready to draft Justin Fields. So they, they're they they're not kind of beholden to Kirk Cousins. There's no loyalty there where it's like, oh my gosh, this is our guy, and how could we ever think of getting rid of, you know, whatever. We're, we're totally fo- focused on rebuilding the team around Kirk and whatnot. They were ready to draft Justin Fields, which meant that they would have played one more year under Cousins, maybe two, probably one, and then shipped him off. And you were willing to do that with a $45 million price tag. I'm not 100% sure what the cap hit would be. I believe it would have to be at least $10 million or something insane to where you're paying a lot of money for a guy to not play for your team. So that's the thing. If they were ready to move on from uh, – they were ready to move on and draft a guy like Fields. Now, who knows? Maybe Fields was just the one quarterback they really liked, but they were willing to listen on Fields. And – you know, there were a lot of rumblings in the offseason that made the Vikings were willing to trade a quarterback. Now, I don't think the Vikings really ever got close to trading Kirk Cousins. You know, there was the Garoppolo to Cousins. There was the, oh, this and that. I don't think the Vikings really got close. But the fact that people were speculating on it, has to, there has to be something there. Not, not that a trade was close, but at least just that the Vikings were willing. That the Vikings were willing to hear, and they were willing to kind of talk this out. Uh, and the other, so that's one thing is, the Vikings didn't really seem sold on Kirk before the season, and outside of him winning a playoff game and making another deep playoff run, it's really hard to see that that continues, um, and then maybe they just ride out his contract for next year and bring in a rookie quarterback either this offseason or the next one, but that's one scenario. Another one, against giving Kirk Cousins an extension, is because of the uncertain futures of that head coach and GM. What if, you know, if, let's say Zimmer, more than likely this is Zimmer's last year in Minnesota, unless the Vikings do something crazy. More than likely Zimmer, the Vikings are going to have a new head coach next year. Spielman's a little different, and we talked about, if Spielman gets fired, there's totally going to be a new quarterback. The new GM isn't coming in and re-signing Kirk Cousins to a big extension when his job, his first few years rebuilding the team, he's going to saddle with heavy cap burden, a rebuilding team, and a quarterback past age 30, that's had an up-and-down career to this point. So that's out of the question. But a new head coach, maybe the new head coach wants to come in. He wants his own quarterback. He might say, look, I think Kirk's a good quarterback, but in this day and age, you need to have your young guy. You need to have that rookie quarterback you saddle yourself up with and you go into it. You see Kyle Shanahan with uh, Trey Lance. You see uh, just teams around the league. You see the Jets and uh, Zach Wilson, the Jaguars. You know, you just want to – you want that – Coach and quarterback pairing, kind of like the Bengals have with uh, Zach Taylor and Joe Burrow, although I say it's more Joe Burrow than Zach Taylor, but you want that kind of combination, and especially if both of them are young. Just kind of that feeling that you have stability, that you have kind of a foundational piece, and maybe the Vikings don't want to do that with Cousins if a new regime comes in, and uh, they might want to just get a rookie quarterback for cap purposes. They don't want a $45 million cap hit, especially if they're going to try and rebuild. Do you think that they'd want to – maybe bring in the young guy, sign a couple vets, but at the same time try and save as much cap or try and uh, avoid big contracts so that way when your team feels ready to win, you have the money to spend. And another thing I think with the Kirk Cousins extension too is do the Wilfs even want to pay 
Cousins another contract. Because Spielman could want it, even Zimmer could want it, but if the Wells say, yeah, no, we're not paying $45 million for this quarterback, you're kind of stuck. If the guy that signs the paychecks doesn't want to sign the paycheck, then you're stuck. Now, I don't know. I feel that the Wolves probably are indifferent on Cousins. Uh, they probably would be willing to make a move. They probably would also be willing to keep him. Just kind of depends. The Wolves like consistency, and maybe, you know, they're not going to be a team. They're not going to be kind of meddling, but at the same time, they want a consistent winner. And sometimes to the detriment of them, it's they've been great owners for the Vikings, but to the detriment of them, sometimes they just want to be consistently good or consistently in the hunt rather than a team that needs to go back a couple steps and really retool until they already hit rock bottom. But uh, those are the cases for and against the Kirk Cousins extension. Uh, I still think the Vikings don't extend Kirk Cousins. I think that he uh, plays next season as the Vikings quarterback and the Vikings draft a quarterback to bring in. Kellen Mond isn't the future. Uh, he's just not. You're not going to try and reset your franchise with a fourth-round uh, quarterback that you really haven't seen much for yet in training camp. And maybe he's developing in practice, but I highly doubt that it's to the level where Zimmer and Spielman are going to feel confident about handing the keys over to him, uh, unless a lot changes. So I think that Kellen Mond is just kind of a nice developmental backup quarterback kind of thing. Uh, but I still think the Vikings end up moving on from Kirk Cousins. I just think that it's it just hasn't worked. It's had up-and-down success. I mean, even Cousins has played really well. The team's still 3-3, three and three, so maybe they just need to hit a reset. Maybe they feel like they need the more cap space to make that happen, and they need a different quarterback. They need to get a rookie quarterback. Not saying it's going to be better or worse, but I think the Vikings are not going to keep Cousins long-term. I think that he finishes out his contract, and I think that's it. But who knows? Just kind of have to be an interesting uh, thing, but it would be classic Vikings for Kirk Cousins to what he did in 2019 which is play really well, get the team into the playoffs, not only that, win a game, so you get the team going, all right, well, looks like Kirk's figured it out, we can get this going. And then 2020 rolls around, and you're like, oh, no, he's on the books for two more years. So I, Cousins and the Vikings have kind of that shorter-term extensions, three years has kind of been the deal. That's not terrible, but still going to be interesting to see what the Vikings do from there. I, But again, you can make the case to extend Kirk Cousins, you can make the case not to. I just don't think the Vikings will in the long run. And now moving on here, uh, let's talk about, uh, before we move on, let's just talk about K.J. Osborne quickly because I talked about him a little bit yesterday in the stock up, stock down. So I'm not going to, I'm going to try not to repeat a bunch of stuff yesterday because you can go back and listen to that uh, on Apple and Spotify. But uh, K.J. Osborne has fundamentally changed how the Vikings play offense. And this is why for years, I've been saying, and I'm not the only one, but I've been saying, you know, they really do need to figure out a third wide receiver. And it seems like a luxury. Now, I'm not saying you need to spend a first-round pick on a wide receiver. You don't need to go in Atlanta Falcons in uh, 2016, 2015, when they, had, uh, when they had Roddy White, Julio Jones, and then took Calvin Ridley. Uh, I'm not saying you have to go in that direction. But at least finding a serviceable guy to be that wide receiver three. We've been wondering that ever really since Diggs and Thielen became that power combination. Because in 2018, it was like, cool. Now, what happens when teams figure out how to stop either one of them? Or one of them can't play because they're hurt. Or worse, both of them. And K.J. Osborne has stepped up and fundamentally changed how the Vikings view offense. And part of that was due to Irv Smith getting hurt. So the Vikings couldn't do that two tight end set that they really like. It forced them to go more three wide receivers. And you know what? It's worked. And Mike Zimmer should look at that and go, huh, this is what happens 
when we let three wide receivers come on the field, teams have a hard time stopping us. And if we add Irv Smith, that's just another weapon. Because Tyler Conklin's a nice player. He's a nice backup tight end. but And he's shown that he can be a serviceable starter. But Irv Smith is just much more of a dynamic pass catcher and runner and all that kind of stuff. So I think that K.J. Osborne also shows that, hey, I've earned this. And he has. It hasn't just been, oh, well, uh, you know, Irv Smith is hurt, so now we got to run more three wide sets. They didn't just do it because Irv Smith got hurt. Because they would have just kept going in two tight ends. You don't think the Zimmer would have kept demanding two tight ends if he felt like that was the, what was necessary? I mean, they just really didn't feel like with uh, Ellison and with uh, Herndon, who, by the way, caught his first touchdown pass uh, last week. If you didn't think, if Zimmer really thought that the two tight end thing was going to give him the best chance, he would have done it. So part of it was is they just weren't doing it, and K.J. Osborne had a really, really nice training camp. He really developed over the course of last season and the offseason, and Zimmer uh, must have noticed because he's given him a lot of touches and given him a lot of time on the field, and Kirk Cousins noticed too. Kirk Cousins over training camp and early part in the season talked about how his uh, he was very fond of K.J. Osborne. And even though they signed D.D. Westbrook, he's mainly been a punt returner slash fourth wide receiver option, which is still good. I mean, it's still, the Vikings have really good wide receiver depth, and this is why K.J. Osborne has transformed it. He's earned those extra snaps. He's a guy that you can depend on. I've said it before. He's the same number as Jerry's Wright. The Vikings haven't had a wide receiver three like that since Jerry's Wright, and the Vikings didn't utilize him the way that they should have. They didn't keep. They didn't put Jerry's Wright on the field as much as they should have, and that was a detriment to them. But K.J. Osborne is a guy that's he's good. And adding D.D. Westbrook in just makes it even harder because you have four guys who can play in the NFL. The Vikings for a long time only had two. Now, a lot of teams are looking for just one. And the Vikings had such bad wide receivers about seven or eight years ago that you would have just wanted even one of these guys. But the Vikings have a luxury of riches at wide receiver, and it's fundamentally changed how they've done offense, and that's because of K.J. Osborne. And I was listening to K.J. Osborne. He had an interview uh, earlier today on KFAN on the Paul Allen show. And he just seems like a likable guy. I don't know. Through the bits I've seen of him, through the interviews and through the videos and whatever stuff that's been released where he's been kind of the subject, he seems like a guy who's down to earth listening to him in that interview. He's not a guy who's like, oh, I'm about to make a big play. I'm about to, you know, he's not a guy who thinks that he's on the cusp of becoming a breakout star. He's a guy who's saying, I came from nothing. I'm putting in the work and I'm seeing results and I'm doing well. He's a guy who's not thinking he's going to become the next superstar. He's a guy who thinks that he's going to be a contributing member of his football team. He's down to earth. K.J. Osborne is a likable guy. He's perfect for that number three wide receiver slot. Stephon Diggs is a really good wide receiver, but he would have been a terrible wide receiver three. Jarius Wright was a perfect wide receiver three. He was a guy who was quiet relatively. He just did his job. He ran good routes. He ran hard, and everything just worked out for him. And so I think K.J. Osborne is the next Jerry's right, and in a good way, and hopefully he stays longer than Jerry's right, because the Vikings getting rid of him was also a mistake. But K.J. Osborne, man, a big reason, Kirk Cousins is having a career year, and a big reason why, or a contributing reason why, I should say, is K.J. Osborne. He's been having a great season so far. And looking now into the Minnesota Wild here, they have a game tonight against Winnipeg. They are 6-2 against the Jets over the last two seasons, by the way. Now, keep in mind, they didn't play each other last year because of the pandemic season and the 
the Jets being in that Canada-only year. But uh, it's going to be the first test for the Wild this year because Winnipeg, you know, they're not uh, a juggernaut by any means, but they are a team that's expected to make the playoffs, and the Ducks and the Kings aren't. So this is going to be a big challenge for you. But you do get the benefit of playing them at the X, and it's going to be the first time back, sellout crowd, all that kind of stuff. It's the first game of the season, so it's going to have a playoff-like atmosphere because everybody's just jazzed that there's hockey being played again. And I think that it's going to be a tough – I mean, the X is always a tough place to play. It's not going to change uh, with the game tonight. And the one thing, though, that has changed is the both teams. They, they are completely different now, and at least the Minnesota Wild. They don't have Parisi. They don't have Suter. They – heck, even some of the last times that they – played each other they only played each other a handful of times when they didn't have Eric Stahl when they didn't have Miku Koivu when they didn't have all this kind of stuff so it's really the Wild are a completely different team they're a completely different team from last year and especially from two years ago there's no Kirill Kaprizov on this team Cam Talbot isn't the goalie for the Wild so there's just a lot of different things about this team so even though the Wild, uh, the Wild are 6-2 and two against the Jets over the last couple of years it is still a uh, still going to be a different game. It's still going. Don't think that that can just carry over, especially with the long delay, the different teams, and and whatnot. It's going to be a really good game in the X. I still like the Wild's chances. They've been playing well as of late, and I think that it's all uh, going to lead to a Wild win tonight. But keep in mind that these are two very different teams, so it'll be interesting to see how uh, that plays out. And another thing, while we're talking about the Wild here, is I want to talk about uh, Matt Dumba. Because with Dumba, he's been a guy who's kind of like Greenway, where every single year everybody's either like, it's time to bail on him, or he's about to have a breakout year. There's no in the middle. And Dumba was a guy who had some growth a couple of years ago, but really hasn't uh, really hasn't done much since probably about the 2017-18 season. And... It has not been uh, going good for Dumba. He hasn't lived up to the contract he's had. Um, now, obviously, he's been hurt during that time, uh, but it still has been uh, it still has been tough sledding for him. He's just you know the defensive lapses, the decision making has been something that uh, Dumba has been criticized for. But he has been able to play well uh, during some of his time. He has been uh, able to do the right things and has been able to. He's been able to play well, but it's just been injuries and it's been uh, just his play so far this uh, the last couple of years. He's not been able to stay healthy. It's been the decision makings. It's been the risky plays. It's been all this kind of stuff. And Dumba's a guy that can take the wild to uh, – he can really help push the wild over the top into trying to be full-fledged cup contenders. But the thing is – it just hasn't happened yet. And we talked about this with Greenway, where at a certain point, Evison and Gurren, they're not going to wait around forever for the defenseman and Dumba. They're not going to wait around and just kind of let him do his thing. They're going to make sure that he uh, he's playing. And they're going to try and push him to that level. And if he can't, they'll, you know, I'm not going to say move on. But at the same time, it's just with Dumba, it's been one of those back and forth things. Where is he a guy that we want on this team? He kind of has that Miguel Sano thing where a lot of – just up and down. And when he's on, people are like, great, he pushes our team to a new level. And when he's off, people are uh, – they're not necessarily riding the bandwagon, if you will. So this is going to be a really interesting season with Matt Dumba, who's going to need to really have 
a good season now that because what the 1819 season the 1920 season the 2020 he's got only a year or two left on his contract so he is a guy that is going to need to step up like with the Kirk Cousins thing even though it's not up after this season it's still getting close enough to where if you don't start having good games uh teams are just going to start to move on and try and plan for uh try and plan for life without you so Matt Dumba is going to be one to watch his season has been kind of mess so far so it's going to be interesting to see how Matt Dumba does so far uh this season and how he does the rest of the way going forward all right let's talk about the Minnesota Timberwolves here quickly because uh whoo boy did uh that Ben Simmons story get juicy it is Jimmy Butler 2, Electric Boogaloo, uh, over in Philadelphia. The roles are reversed. Now it is the Wolves who are the team, uh, or I should say it's the 76ers, that are the team that's dealing with a disgruntled star player that came back after reporting to hold out, only to come back and completely mess up team's practice and cause an even bigger distraction. Meanwhile, the Minnesota Timberwolves, uh, on Twitter today, they just released a video of Anthony Edwards flying a drone and Alex Rodriguez smashing it with a baseball bat. So, it shows you where the two franchises are right now. Now, obviously, the Wolves aren't fixed by any stretch of the imagination, but the 76ers are in a bit of a, they're in a bit of a bind right now because what do you do? You said he's not getting traded until December, till the winter, till whatever. You know, we need to establish that we have leverage. And Ben Simmons actually coming back. People thought that Ben Simmons coming back would have uh, helped the 76ers get leverage. But Ben Simmons coming back actually destroyed any leverage that the 76ers could have wanted because now he's back. He's a distraction. He clearly doesn't want to be there. He's not going to play for this team. And now with him getting kicked out of practice today because he was disengaged, Doc Rivers kicked him out of practice. What do you, what what are the 76ers going to do? He's not going to come back. Now maybe they use this to fine him and they kind of try and get him to play harder, but they're just going to find another thing. Ben Simmons and his agent are just going to find another way to try and poke and prod at the 76ers to trade him. The 76ers are not keeping him through December. The 76ers are losing leverage by the day and are going to have to just get rid of Ben Simmons for whatever they can. This holdout didn't end well for either side. The 76ers are now embarrassed. They now have a disgruntled player, and all the media are honing in on them as the season starts, and they already have a lot of expectations. Joel Embiid is now throwing Simmons under the bus. It's all just becoming a, it's all just becoming a mess there. And for Ben Simmons, your name is getting thrown under the bus. Now all of a sudden you have this uh, kind of uh, uh, diva attribute, if you will, to your name. So it, and of course you're losing all the game checks, and now you got suspended. They'll probably fine you for that. You're suspended for the first game of the season. So everything is just not going well uh, for either side, which means that it's time to trade Ben Simmons. Whether it's to the Timberwolves, to the Warriors, to the to the uh, to Rockets, I don't, I don't know, to the Lakers, wherever Ben Simmons is going, uh, he needs to go there soon. And if you're the and if you're the Wolves, think about the situation before we talk about the Wolves' trade prospects. Remember how Jimmy Butler coming back was thought to be a good thing, especially by Tibbs? It ended up being the worst thing because now Jimmy Butler's here. He's causing a scene. It's causing a mess. It's ruining all your leverage rather than if he just would have stayed at home and been shooting, you know, at the local Y or something. It does players no good. It does teams no good to make their players come back like this 
because these star players are just proving that they will not play and they will do whatever it takes to get out. And I'm all for player empowerment, by the way. Uh, a lot of people in Philadelphia and the larger sports media having that conversation about, uh, well, our players getting too emboldened. Nobody was saying this when Jimmy Butler was here. Everybody was laughing about the practice squad thing. Uh, so no sympathy for people who are wondering why their star player is doing this. That's what happens. You guys wrote the rules. You bought the ticket. You get the ride. So it's been interesting to see. But if the Timberwolves are going to make a play, they're going to need to do it now. I think this is the best chance. The leverage is an all-time high for the Wolves. Just go in, say, hey, look, this is getting a mess. The season's just starting. You don't want this cloud hanging over your head for another two months. Here, we'll come in. We'll take care of this. We will get everything worked out if you want to do that. Now, again, I'm not big that the Wolves should trade for Ben Simmons. I think it's a lot. I don't really think that the upside of Ben Simmons is worth the potential franchise-building value that you're trading away. But if you are going to make a move, if you are going to do that, now has to be the time to do it. To come in with your best offer, Sanjay Gupta coming in, he's friends with Daryl Morey, or at least close with him, and just say, hey, look, man, you got to figure this thing out. We'll help you do it. Just get rid of him for some value. You can end this, and then you can focus on the rest of your season and figuring out where to go from there. So that'll be interesting to see with the Wolves is what happens with Ben Simmons. Are the Wolves going to be involved in any way? It's also another one. And what are the other teams going to do as well in the Ben Simmons sweepstakes, which, by the way, is probably going to heat up now that Ben Simmons got suspended for a practice for – or got suspended – for one game by how he acted in practice by basically just being checked out, not participating and doing all that kind of stuff. So uh, Ben Simmons is uh, going to be on the move soon. I am sure, or at the very least things are going to get a lot more ugly before that happens. All right. Lastly here, let's talk about the Minnesota twins and we've been breaking down a picture. We've been breaking down positions across the diamond. We started out with the position players now we're moving on to the pitchers, and let's start out here with the starting rotation. And this is an area that has a lot of intrigue because the Twins had one of the worst pitching staffs last year and probably would have at least been in the mix, maybe not for a wild card spot because that was tough, but they would have at least had a winning record, I should say. The pitching staff just holds their own because that offense, while they let they had a high strikeout percentage, uh, they and they had some issues on offense and they had injury issues. But when the offense clicked, they were still one of the best in baseball. The pitching staff just never was able to uh, to keep pace and to be able to try and lock games down for the Twins. But this is the one that's going to be addressed the most in free agency in the offseason. We talked about, well, could they get a shortstop? Could they get a first baseman? Could they get a catcher? You know, whatever position. Pitching is going to be the one that they are going to have to make a move on to get a solid starter. And we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit more here. But... This is a good market to do it. The starting pitching class for free agents is loaded right now. You look at some of the names that are on this list that include Zach Grinke, Noah Syndergaard, uh, Marcus Stroman, Trevor uh, Trevor Bauer's not going to be on this list. He, I'm going down the spot track list. He's not going to be on there next year, but Justin Verlander, Clayton Kershaw, Max Scherzer, all of these names. And the part that helps the Twins is when everybody goes and tries to find them, the Twins go in under and steal some of the guys who got pushed down and try and get some value out of that and try and get somebody that can play. Now, I think 
that Marcus Stroman is one that the Twins have been linked to in the past. I think the Twins would be willing to shell out money for Stroman. Now, he is just reached age 30, but we'll see how he uh, how he approaches that. I think Marcus Stroman is one that the Twins would like. Uh, there's also a couple ones, Danny Duffy, Alex Cobb, I'm sure they'd be in on. Noah Syndergaard is also a free agent, by the way. That'll be interesting to see what happens in that situation. Also, so is James Paxton. Just a couple of those middle-of-the-road kind of guys, well, except for Syndergaard, but a couple of those middle-of-the-road kind of guys that the Twins normally would sign and make a play for and just kind of, uh, you know, the, not a bargain bin, but basically a bargain bin kind of thing. But the top guys that they are running out there, uh, top, of the, top of the guys are out of the running, I should say. You know, obviously the Twins aren't going to get Verlander. The Twins obviously aren't going to get Granky. They're obviously not going to get Kershaw. But what they are going to get is they're going to get some nice players in between like we just talked about. The trade market could also be a possibility. The Twins also could ship off some of those outfielding prospects that they have. If there is a potential Buxton trade, I'm sure it will include either top minor league pitching or it will include major league ready pitching to see what the Twins can try and do with that. And again, I'm not tr for trading Buxton, but if you are, and that's the return you're going to get, that's probably what you're thinking. You're probably thinking trade Buxton for the return to help out your pitching staff and to get a guy under contract. Maybe cheat, maybe not, but at least uh, try and get a guy that way. Uh, some other twin starters to look after. Uh, kind of, if you're breaking down the rotation, I think Joe Ryan is uh, the number one. I think out of the twins pitchers that they have on the roster, Joe Ryan who they got in the Nelson Cruz trade, is the number one pitcher on a bullet. But I don't think that the Twins go into the season with Joe Ryan as the opening day starter. He's not your number one starter. He's a guy that could be, but he's a guy that still needs a season or two to really grow into that role. So Joe Ryan is a guy that will make the Major League roster. So will Bailey Ober. Those two will make the uh, starting rotation. John Gant probably will. Uh, you know, he's had, you know, is he a bullpen guy? Is he a starter? The injuries, maybe he's moved to the bullpen eventually. But uh, John Gant is another guy. Dobnak kind of fits in that same role of, like, what do you do? Bullpen, reliever, or bullpen starter, kind of whatever in that situation. Griffin Jacks was a young guy who pitched a lot of games last season in the rotation. I don't think he stays as a starter. I think he just screams a guy like a Tyler Duffy, a guy that has stuff and makes good starts every once in a while but can't become a solid uh, pitcher and eventually gets turned into a reliever and find some success that way, which I think Griffin Jacks can if he only has to face three batters a game rather than compared to, like, 15. So that's an interesting uh, one to look at as well. Michael Pineda is also one who's – Pineda's going to be a free agent, but I've said before I think the Twins would be wise to bring him back because the Pineda has pitched well the last few seasons with the Twins. The Twins have shown a lot of commitment to Michael Pineda. Maybe he's – maybe that's kind of – reciprocated to him or that's uh, really hit home with him and uh, just also that the twins liked having him around and he wasn't that expensive to keep on your roster so that'll be another one to think about with the Minnesota twins when you uh, come to this stuff some other prospects because keep in mind um, Kenta Maeda is probably out for most of 2022 so the team is going to need to get a veteran pitcher in some regard Kenta obviously had the elbow issue late in August, so he's probably middle, late August, so he's probably not coming back either till late next season or at all, so you're going to have to figure out how to compensate for that, and can you just do it with prospects, and I really don't think you can. The Twins, 
just they're going to have to try and get somebody. The Twins are going to have to make a move, whether it's for a top-of-the-end arm or whether it's just for a guy that they get. They're going to have to find, whether it's the trade market or free agency, they're going to need to find somebody to sign to lead the pitching staff while Maeda is out. But the Twins, on their prospect list, they have a couple names in mind. There's Jordan Belazovic. He's a, a guy who's expected to make the big leagues at some point this coming season in 2022. So is Simeon Woods Richardson. This, of course, according to MLB.com. But Simeon Woods Richardson is the fourth-ranked prospect, according to MLB.com. He's a guy who's expected to make his debut next season. Johan Duran is another guy who's had some arm issues, but is still a guy that could potentially come in there. Uh, you look at guys like uh, certain guys on the roster, including uh, like Drew Strotman, a guy, another guy the Twins got in the Nelson Cruz trade. Kind of how is that developing going? Are they able to keep things rolling? And what can the Twins do uh, with that? Are they going to be able to get these young guys in? Because the Twins traded for a lot of starting pitching and just a lot of pitching last year at the trade deadline because they kind of knew, yeah, we screwed up on that. We need to really infuse this uh, team with a bunch of young pitchers and uh, that they've been able to do. So it'll be interesting to see what the Twins can do with that because there's uh, there's some options, obviously, but there's just not a uh, not a ton when it comes to some of their pitching moves. So it's going to be really interesting to see what the Twins do with the rotation. It's just so wide open, and there's so many different avenues they can go down and figure out how to solve it. So it's going to be really interesting to see what the final plan is for Derek Falvey and Thad Levine about how they want to go about the starting pitching situation. Well, all right, that's going to do it for us here on the Minnesota Sports Podcast. We have a What About Them Wednesdays coming up tomorrow. We'll see you then. Thanks for listening to the Minnesota Sports Podcast. You can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Be sure to leave a five-star review and share the podcast on social media to help spread the word.